Welcome to another episode of uh, OTXNT. Uh, I am Dr. Ben Pate, but I, we've got a special guest, Dr. Andrew Marquez. Well, I am Dr. Andrew Marquez, but I'm not the guest. No, you're not. The, no, you're not. <laughs> we have the highly esteemed in Arabic. We would call him Al Mudir, the man, the Dr. David Johnson, who has two doctorates, by the way. Like he is what you and I are combined into one. He is two. <laughs> So, but we wanted to bring him along. That, that is true in terms of age and chronology. Oh, no, so, you, there you go. But here's the deal, okay? So this is why we're doing this. Um, I wanted Dr. Johnson to come and hang out and talk with Andrew and I, um, because I've been preaching through the book of Daniel, and some questions keep coming up uh, as I've been preaching through, and I've had it from people in the congregation about uh, the rapture and whether or not um, you know, the church will experience the tribulation, or does Christ rapture his church prior to? Uh, and so what I wanted to do is, you know, here I am, Old Testament guy, but I got two New Testament guys with me, uh, and I wanted to just kind of have a dialogue today about maybe what some of those views would look like, because maybe you're watching this and uh, you're really only familiar with one kind of a viewpoint, uh, but kind of show what, what's what's out there, what's, you know, what's not crazy to hold, because I feel like sometimes we make it like, uh, if you don't hold this one, you're totally off track and you don't love the Lord. Um, not that it would be said that way, but, you know, it could, you know. So, um, Andrew, you want to start us off with the Lord's Prayer, and then we will, uh, we'll get started. All right, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And that last part could be part of the prayer or a celebration, depending on your view. Well, that's why we got to bring him back for a Gospels thing, right? Because uh, Mark was first, as, uh, as we like to say around you which is not your position at all, right? No. Um, so, okay, look, so let me start by saying kind of the first place. So I grew up um, uh, obviously in churches where the pastors were pretty hardcore, uh, premillennial, uh, dispensational, uh, pre-trib pre rapture is kind of what I would get from the pulpit. Um, and so I kind of grew up in that context uh, went, and we'll hopefully we'll discuss those terms in a few minutes, um, but um, kind of grew up out of that and then, you know, um, was exposed to other things with other people in college and in seminary and in the doctoral program. And so I've kind of always just had a, I don't know, I've kind of had more of an ambiguity about what I, what I think is going to happen. Um, but as I've been reading through, right, so I've, Daniel has kind of ch really challenged me to at least try to think a little bit deeper about stuff, challenged me in views that I've had before. So I guess one of the first times, guys, that I, I started to really wonder about what was, you know, a little bit more than challenged my own views is when you're, you're reading something like um, Daniel chapter 7, right? And you see things like this in chapter 7, where, um, uh, where he goes on to talk about what that fourth beast is going to do. And he says this uh, in verse 19 of 7, he says, I want to be clear about the fourth beast, the one different from all others, extremely terrifying, with iron teeth, bronze claws, devouring, crushing, and trampling with its feet 
whatever was left. I also want to know about the ten horns on its head, about the horn that came up, which the th uh, and which three fell, the horn that had eyes, the mouth that spoke arrogantly and looked bigger than the others. As I was watching, this horn waged war against the holy ones and was prevailing over them until the Ancient of Days arrived and a judgment was given in honor of the holy ones. So that's the first piece, right? Because it, it sounds to me like he's trampling over God's people. And then um, it, there's a little bit more that he goes, because this is still talking about that fourth and final kingdom. We're not, I don't believe this is Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, if you go, I, I'm, I'm not a Greek interpretation of this, uh, but then you'll see a little bit more in verse 25. He'll speak words against the most high, oppress the holy ones of the most high. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws and the holy ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. So let me stop there. And so I read this, and, and I know that you guys, at least being New Testament guys, you, you've got revelation that you've studied a little bit more. Jesus' understanding of, of how the end times uh, is coming is always interesting to have a gospel's approach to that. Uh, but I read something like that, and it just does make me pause, because in one part I read it, and it seems like, there's a group that are going to get trampled on by this coming Antichrist. And then another part, then you're like, okay, but why is it only a time, time, uh, times and a half, right? So it only seems like, is it only three and a half years that they're going to be trampled on? So I don't know. Like, I wanted to just start because I almost feel like in this passage alone, you've got people in there who say, see, that's, that's post-trib rapture. And there's others, they see that's pre-trib, that was only a three and a half. So I want to throw that out there and see kind of what your thoughts are, not necessarily about this passage, but kind of, you know, where we're at on a discussion. If there's any New Testament passages that have kind of been influential in how you think about this or try to clarify some of these things. Well, one of the things, you're just setting this up, uh, <clears throat> this is assuming that we are viewing a premillennial uh, approach to the end times, that there will be a physical reign of Christ on the earth for 1,000 years, and that we're talking about the seven-year period of time prior to his return, and whether the church is taken up seven years prior, somewhere in the middle of that seven years, or at the end of that seven years. And so those are kind of the positions that we'd be spelling out. Correct. Not really trying to get into the other millennial views. No, um, no. You know, there's always next time, right? So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm talking about specifically and I'll, let me clarify this too, because sometimes when I've read Daniel as well, they're, 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 and I don't think Daniel does this. I think Daniel kind of keeps it not as clear that when Christ comes back, he's going to reign. But does that does that is that also conclusive? It seems like in certain places of Daniel, the return of Christ and the millennial kingdom and the 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 end, the new heaven and new earth, are kind of all mixed in and blended together. So, but I I, I do. I'm, I do, I, I do take a, I, I'm at a point where I am, I, I would say I'm pre-millennial, and I believe there to be a, a literal millennium, but I, I want to talk specifically about that seven-year period rapture and kind of where we're at, because like I said, I read something like that, and I get to a point where I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's post, maybe it's mid, but then actually, more recently in my studies, uh, when I got into nine, I kind of felt like, well, maybe maybe I'm, I'm pre, you know? And so like, I feel like in the book so far, I'm in three different positions. I think you could make a case for either in the book. I think part of the issue is that we're dealing with highly symbolic language. And that is true in the book of Daniel. 
as you have weeks standing for periods of time of years and uh, you have symbolic numbers that is especially true in the book of Revelation and I think that that gives rise to um, all kinds of either misunderstanding or uh, simply taking something in a direction that you might want to take it, but it was not intended by the text. So a seven-year period of time, seven is a perfect number. Numbers are incredibly important in apocalyptic literature. And so if you've got a complete number like seven, it denotes that there is something that God is going to accomplish, and it has to be and he's going to do it in a, a perfect period of time. Hmm. The three and a half years, which is a time, times and half a time, it's 42 months, it's uh, 1,360 days, however, the 1,260 days, all of those are the same kind of designation. And you find those all and over and over again in the book of Revelation, which simply means this is temporary. It's hmm. not going to last forever. It's, it's not going to be complete. It's not going to be for the whole time. It is a temporary designation of time. The issue I have often with people that come to these passages and they try to create uh, either a system or they try to create something that is pretty airtight when it comes to how it's uh, going to lay out, when I, I do not believe that the text actually intends for that to be the product. Um, and, and to do that, you see people taking all kinds of of either exegetical shortcuts or they uh, they they take a passage that is truly um, clearly not intended to mean that, but it but they'll take it to mean that. Let me give you one very very simple example. I heard a person preach one time who preached often about how he believed the Bible is literally true, and uh, he got to Re Revelation four verse one and uh, the uh, God says to John, "Come on up here." And he says, clearly, this is the rapture of the church. And I'm saying, what? That's not the rapture of the church. This is John being given a vision from God and being told to come up here. If you're going to preach the Bible is literally true, that's what literally is true in that hmm. passage. It's not the rapture of the church. Hmm. And so the issue I have in many of these, you know, the verses that are used or the, the, the scriptures that are used to support a particular position is that often... Once they've taken a position, in order to support that position, they've got to go through all kinds of hermeneutical gyrations for the Bible to support the position they've already taken. Huh. Well, can I just say this? I think something that you said is pretty profound as well. Um, the idea of seeing whether you're, you're somebody like who, who you know, I, I'm, I'm being more t prone to see, like at least in Daniel, I feel like some of those sevens, may actually be literal. But I, I think one of the things that we also need to keep in mind is regardless of whether I see that as literal or not, I am understanding that, that the meaning is still that God has his own timing. And the, the three and a half years, it's, the point is it's not going to last forever. It's going to be a, a period of time that will be finished at the end. And so I, I think that's a good thing to always remember is that there is a meaning behind that. And, and you can, um, and I think that, that that's, that, that we need to make sure we focus on that is what is God wanting his people to learn from that and not necessarily always get caught up in the, in the piece like that is. When you read that, you think, thank the Lord that there's only three and a half years that that's going to happen, or it's a, a temporary uh, time, and there is respite coming. You, sir, what do you think? 
Well, I think it's a good, you know, Dr. Johnson giving us that uh, good sense of we have to be humble when we're approaching this literature and recognize what we don't know. Uh, because uh, I, I've been at pastor's breakfasts and we brought this subject up and, I, you know, one pastor said, well, I, I used to think that, but then I read the Bible. And, and if you didn't uh, agree with his position, apparently you didn't uh, read the Bible. And I, I thought that was a, an interesting statement because I have also read the Bible. <laughs> And then, uh, you, you know, the other extreme, though, is going, you know, the, the pan-millennialist route, which is uh, it'll all pan out in the end. And so I just bypass uh, talking about it. And, you know, I, I don't want to go there either. I think it is fun to dig in and try to work through these symbols. But we do have to recognize there's so much speculation at the end of the day with really trying to come down on something. And so we have to be willing to say uh, we don't really know for sure that this view is right, you know, even if I'm convinced by it or persuaded today. Um, but it is fun, and I, I think we ought to have a little fun just trying to, uh, to carve out a, a section here. So I, I think it's important to affirm the, the clear elements of Scripture that we find and the clear uh, indications from Scripture. For instance, I, I think it's very clear in Scripture that there will be a removal of the church. Now, you, you can call that a rapture, which is the word that means to be to be caught up, um, and and that uh, is affirmed in the teachings of Jesus, as Jesus was teaching in Matthew 24. He made it very clear that uh, one would be taken, the other would be left. This would be a a, a sudden experience. Uh, it's affirmed by the Apostle Paul, as uh, he uh, talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, towards the end, when he says, "We shall all be changed." Uh, and he, uh, in the twinkling of an eye, it's, uh, it's affirmed by Paul again in 1 Thessalonians 4, when he talks about, you know, that those who believers who are left will meet uh, together with him in the air, and those who are dead in Christ will rise first. So that's, it is clear to me that there is going to be a rapture type of event uh, that will be a part of the end times, that will be part of God bringing all things into consummation. I think another element is the Antichrist. You see indications of the Antichrist in Daniel um, as prefigured by an, somebody like Antiochus Epiphany, mm -hmm. uh, prefigured that way. But you see that affirmed in the writings of Paul, talking about the man of lawlessness. And so affirming the clear uh, elements that you find in Scripture, I think, is very, very important. Um, systematizing those, I think, sometimes... Uh, as I said, causes us to, to maybe go in a direction that we wouldn't go in other areas. Uh, we, we take some shortcuts or we, we clearly make some compromises about what we believe about the interpretation of Scripture because we want to fit it into a system. And again, I'm not convinced that, that this is intended to be turned into a, a systematic or a, a scheme of things uh, before it happens. I think the elements are there. They're there for our instruction and for our warning and, and honestly, for our looking forward. Uh, what, is, what does uh, Paul say in, in Titus? While we wait for the glorious appearing of, of the Son of God who's going to come from heaven. Oh, my, that's what we look forward to. So, Well, I mean, so let me ask you, the, so the things, in your opinion, what are the major markers that you think a church is supposed to then so we obviously we should be waiting for the return of Christ like that that's something that we look to we wait I think sometimes depending on what view you have you you might almost say well I'm not going to see that because there's there's this versus this and this that still have to take place 
And so I, a critique is often, especially of where you're at on that scale, uh, is that that does not allow necessarily for you to say, well, Christ can come at any moment, um, unless you say, well, he's going to come that first time and take us up and then uh, and then come and reign. And so there's a little bit of a play with that. But obviously, okay, so we're waiting for the return of Christ. What are some other things that you think, as you've looked at, you know, the New Testament and the Old, that are like things that are pretty guaranteed that we know these are, look, we're looking forward. So you said like um, that Christ will get us. Um, should we, do you think we should be looking for and kind of wondering uh, the Antichrist is coming that we're looking at for when's that going to all take place? Do you think that's important too? I think so, because in Second Thessalonians, it says that the Antichrist will be destroyed by the breath of his mouth. And so I, I think we look for that. And I think, but there's also a sense in, in 2 Thessalonians that we won't know clearly that's who it is until that time comes that he is destroyed by the breath of his mouth. Hmm. So I, I think things are going to be um, maybe more difficult to tell in the moment of uh, these things happening. Um, Andrew, so, okay, so you came out of kind of similar uh, pre, pre-trib background. Um, and, and, you know, walk me through just briefly. Cause I know like when you and I met before, like that was a, that was one that you could fire off pretty quickly. Um, walk me through some basic understanding of what that view would entail and then kind of tell me where you've landed so far. So, so if you're going to try to, uh, outline the positions, usually we're dealing with a seven year period and that is deducted from Daniel's 490 years that he yeah. lays out, I think in chapter nine, chapter nine. Mm-hmm. And so we have roughly after for the 483rd year, the Messiah is cut off and the unfinished business more or less that Israel was uh, tasked to accomplish, uh, is, is then reserved more or less until, uh, for that last seven year period. And so. Uh, a lot of debate has uh, occurred over the last hundred years on whether Israel will be re- reunited to accomplish those goals as a nation of its own, whether the church, uh, for the majority of church history, has been viewed as the uh, usurping that role and that it'll be the church at that time, not Israel. Uh, but there'll be a seven-year window, you know. And in that seven-year window, the idea early on was that uh, God would focus through the nation of Israel uh, to accomplish those missing years. And because of that, the idea of the timing of the rapture was placed at the beginning of the tribulation in order to remove them from the world so that God could refocus on his first chosen people, mm-hmm. uh, Israel. And bringing together Romans 11 and that God would uh, you know, drive out unbelief from, uh, from Israel and that they would become finally what they were made to be and usher in the millennial kingdom. And so that that's kind of the motivation for getting the church out of the way that goes back to the Plymouth brethren. And, uh, and it, it has adapted a number of ways. I think Craig Blazing's done the best job of laying out the, uh, the three definitive shifts in dispensational theology that have occurred. And so that, uh, view, <laughs> that view is, uh, is still really dominant. Uh, so, uh, Ryrie, most of our, our pastors of a generation before me had a Ryrie study Bible Schofield would be that old uh, school version, and then Ryrie was kind of the dominant leader out of Dallas Theological, and it was uh, his view that really kind of separated the earthly peoples and the heavenly peoples and made it more Israel versus uh, the church, and that is what a lot of our Southern Baptist churches would hold to some form of that, 
And in that scheme, uh, God will remove the church. We kind of stand with the church, I believe, of Philadelphia, the sixth church that God says, I will keep you from the hour of testing. And that word keep is really a lot of weight is placed on that word, that God is not going to leave us in and protect us, but keep us, preserve us out of the world. And so the, the trumpet sound that initiates when John hears that voice come up here is the trumpet of the Olivet Discourse when God is coming to collect his own. And so John then embodies the church, not literally, <laughs> as they are raptured up. And so that is the view the church is removed, and then Israel uh, has seven years to finish their task. And in that time, mm -hmm. you'll have about three and a half years of the Antichrist rising in tribulation under him, and then about three and a half years of God's outpouring of wrath upon the earth before Christ comes. And so that, that's kind of the really broad outline of the pre-trib uh, model. And I, I'll, I'll say, if you don't affirm that in some of our churches, you're, you're not welcome. <laughs> because I, I even had some issues in my ordination ceremony about, you know, are you locked in on this? And I, I didn't, I disappointed some by saying, no, I am not, you know. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, so that would be the pre-trib. I mean, you want me to lay the others out or you want to lay the others out? Well, I, I do want to make a comment that this, this attempt, and I, I've heard this done in many contexts, this attempt to, uh, to make the seven churches of Revelation representative of historical eras through the church age just doesn't hold water. It's, it's exegetically impossible historically. You have to really do some gymnastics to make that happen. And um, to say that those, those letters were not written to real churches in real time, addressing real issues, um, I, I think does violence to the book of Revelation. Now, are there messages there for every church of every time? Absolutely. I think you see that represented in churches across the world. But here's the other issue, Andrew, that I see. That interpretation is most easily supported from a particular nationality point of view. That is the United States. If you look at other countries and the church in other countries, you'll find the persecuted church in countries that, that are, that are uh, completely different from ours, they would not necessarily see that the same way yeah. because they've experienced persecution now and they've been experiencing persecution for centuries. And so I think it's, it's almost a, a, an ethnographic kind of hermeneutic that's been applied to it. Um, and it's, 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 one that makes sense if you live in our country in our time, but I'm not sure it holds water in other places at other times. Anyway, that's my little spiel about that. And I, and I think in response to that, the, the growing acceptance of this view does correlate to a reestablishment of the nation of Israel in 1948 and uh, the idea that World War II was over, that the world was not getting better but worse in many people's eyes. And so this kind of isolated uh, idea, the Plymouth Brethren, uh, becomes more mainstream in the evangelical churches, and I am seeing it waning now significantly, especially now that we've passed 70 years since Israel became a nation. I, I was banking on Christ's return in 2018, and so uh, I, didn't, I didn't lose any money on that deal, but that work was, out for you? I was sad that it didn't happen. <laughs> so, but yeah, that is that view, and, uh, and again, I, I don't think it's completely without biblical warrant that there will be a rapture and that the seven years, if you understand the 483 is literal, uh, then the seven would also make sense to be literal in that sense so that you can try to frame a rapture point in that midst. And if you, if you accept that, then you, know, you can continue with the ideas. 
if you d disregard trying to lock that 490 years of Daniel into an actual uh, literal time frame, then it's a little harder to, to do much with this. So, so here's the deal. So like, as I've been teaching through, when I got to nine, uh, chapter nine of Daniel, um, to me, it does read, right? When I go through this, I read, there's the 62 weeks, which he's already added the seven. So we're at 69, uh, anointed one is cut off, Messiah is cut off. It says the people of the coming ruler, which I believe is talking about the antichrist. So his nation, his people through which he will come from, it says they will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And so, you know, obviously um, the stuff is happening post the 69th uh, set of weeks, right? Uh, it says, and the end will come with a flood. Until the end, there will be war, desolations decreed. He'll make a covenant with many for one week. So to me, there's a clear gap in there already. There's a gap. There's a, there's a clear gap between the 69th week and the 70th week. Um, and there's a lot of time frame, too, from the time where Christ is, is crucified to the destruction of the temple. So I, I, I look at this, and actually, as I was studying through it, like, it did bring me back to a sense of like, okay, that the clock is paused, right? You know, is that, for you guys, would you equate that's kind of the same thing that we see in the New Testament, where if this clock is paused for a while before that final week, uh, is that what, what you guys would see as like the, the time of the Gentiles that's referred to? Uh, or would you interpret that as something a little bit different where it talks about how uh, the, the, for the time of the Gentiles, that that's where they'll, they'll trample underneath the, the temp, uh, the, under their feet, they'll trample the temple and all of that. Because to me, it sounds like there's a gap and then something will start again. I don't know whether that's the, the big issue is I don't know what, what's the marker for that starting back. Um, and, and does the, you know, and the other big thing that to point out, right, is this, these are the things that are said, right? When he tells Daniel this and he's interpreting this, he says that, um, that this is for you and for your people. Um, and, and, and you find this, you know, this kind of an understanding of are these pieces that are being told specifically for Israel or are they for, you know, all of the church? So that's what's messed me up a little bit. That's what I kind of wanted to, to figure out. Uh, you know, is are we in the time of the Gentiles waiting for that clock to stop? The church is, you know, is, you know, does that mean that there's a rapture after the time of the Gentiles or that we just keep moving through that seventh, uh, that 70th week too? I don't know if I've made any sense at all, but there's two others who are brilliant to be able to clear that up for anybody. The short answer for that to me, I don't know. Okay, good. <laughs> Not, not yeah, as messed up. Well, I do. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't know either. And it's, it's one of those things that's difficult. There's days that I feel very preterist and that all of this uh, is pointing to the first century and the destruction of the temple answers a lot of questions. I, I get attracted to that some days of the week, um, but I, I don't really land there ultimately that um, <clears throat> I think that we've been wrestling with this since the Bible was completed. And that is something that we, again, we should say we don't know. Um, I think when we get Romans 11, we're, we're seeing a real difficulty that Paul's struggling with on the mission field, that many Gentiles are coming to the faith, but the Jews are not. And it, uh, is in his salvation historical theme, he, he kind of says God's taken a turn and he's shifted the salvation progress to reaching the Gentiles. But when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then the end will come. And there's a partial hardening even on Israel until that day. So 
I think Paul's addressing that same question, and unfortunately, he doesn't always add a lot of clarity in that passage. There's so much debate on what Romans 11 is really saying, but I, I would argue that God has paused, that we have a time of the Gentiles for salvation, and then that is going to shift back to a focus on ethnic Israel, and I, I, I would argue that Romans 9 through 11 is primarily about God's plans for the national Israel, uh, not the church. I, I think Paul is is uh, really carefully trying to talk about his ethnic brethren, that God is saving a remnant today, but he's, he's going to do more than that. Uh, so that, that's my view. And so I think that that's part of the thing that we, we don't have it all figured out. I do find a lot of interesting things in that passage that do point us ahead to say, okay, there is a future time. And then if you go back to Daniel and you realize that it is Israel's responsibility to usher in these things, and they didn't fulfill it. And so I, I am persuaded that God has uh, intentions to work out a profound salvation for ethnic Israel, bringing them into the church, and that that is what we're looking forward to in some sense through the book of Revelation. Question for both of y'all, while we're still on this. Covenant starts back up, Antichrist comes. I think we're all in agreement. There's a coming leader the Antichrist is coming at some point. Um, when that is, all of that's available. But the, the uh, abomination of desolation uh, that Daniel refers to, um, almost picking up images of what Antiochus had done, kind of pointing to the fact that that was going to happen again. Um, do you believe that there needs to be, I know this is not what we discussed, but I'm going to throw it out. Do you believe that there needs to be a, that there will be a literal temple uh, does, in the New Testament, does under, do you think that needs to be a little, literal temple that the man of lawlessness will sit in, uh, that they're going to have to rebuild that for this to all take place? What do you think? I think that depends on your view of Matthew 24. Okay. Matthew 24 is clearly talking about two events. One is the destruction of Jerusalem. The other is the second coming, the return of Christ. And where scholars differ and where, where the interpretations start really coming, becoming divergent is where does the point come that Jesus is not talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, but he's talking about the second coming. Okay. So there are scholars who believe that that uh, abomination of desolation took place when the Romans conquered Jerusalem and Titus came through and pretty much um, desecrated the temple okay. uh, in the way that he, de he dealt with the temple as he came through it. Uh, and there has not been a temple since. Uh, after Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70, there's, there hasn't been one since then. Mm -hmm. So that, that is what many scholars would accept in that. And that then uh, the other references there coming to the second coming are going to happen after this period of time that we're in now. Okay. Interesting. Never, I throw that out there. I'm just wondering as I'm looking through. Like I said, I'm bringing you guys in because here I am just trying to preach through this and get some other perspectives to speak into this. So can I throw one other thing? You got something else you looked you were about to say, and that was going to cut you off, Andrew. What is it? Uh, I'll save it. Go, go ahead. I just, I, 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 had, I had notes to go all pre-wrath today. I'm not even a pre-wrath guy. I was that's what I thought I was supposed to bring. Save it. I'm about to launch them. I don't know okay. why we have to air it our, this, like how we do this online, but we're going to do it. Okay, so here's the big one, right? This is where we get. So that was, we've done the pre-trib. So one common thing I've always heard, because, uh, you know, I went to my freshman year of college, I was at Liberty University. Uh, I sat under Ed Heinsohn, 
um, who was my Old Testament guy. And if you know anything about Ed Heinsohn, he's hardcore, uh, pre-trib, um, pre-millennial dispensationist. Um, and so one of the things that Ed likes to say, and I've heard him say it when I was even at the ETS conference, uh, talking about now, if you have a different view of, of the tribulation, that, of the rapture, right? That we post or mid, uh, uh, mid or post, as he says, he says, it doesn't make sense for, for, Christ, for God to beat up the bride of Christ before he calls her up. Um, and so what I want to throw is, I want to throw that out there is, is that what's happening in a mid or a post-trib view? Is the bride of Christ, is God beating up the bride of Christ in a, in a if you hold to a mid or a post-trib view? Uh, because that's kind of the common, I think, disagreement is to have an issue of seeing as God himself punishing and sending his church through tribulation. I would say... Uh, David already answered that. It's a very American-centric view that, that persecution is something we're saved from. Uh, the church throughout history has been beat up, not by God, but by the world. And God allows that and somehow actually says this is part of, of being a Christian is that this is what connects you to Christ, the suffering, this persecution. And so um, I would say I, I, would, I would try to refine that critique and say that when God pours out his wrath upon the world, that, that's that pre-wrath, pre-trib view, try to spare the church from God's outpouring of wrath, which is something the world has never seen. And so the, the pre-wrath view tries to avoid that um, critique that we're, God's going to beat up his own bride by saying he's going to remove her prior to uh, his wrath. But the, the tribulation that occurs under the Antichrist is going to be fair game for the church, just like she's endured uh, for many years. And I would point to John. 218 where he says you know uh don't forget uh, the antichrist is coming even now many antichrists have come and uh we're always looking around saying well, maybe that's the one but part of the way the church has experienced the spirit of the antichrist is through persecution that's been brought against us throughout church history so but i would say that the pre-wrath view does avoid that criticism so if just because you're saying pre-wrath um because i know that there's been a shift between calling it mid-trib or you're saying that that the, the for I guess in the seven year period the church goes through the first three and a half and before and you see the wrath of God being poured out post that three and a half year period is that what you're saying and he pulls the church out and then God directly judges the world yeah at some point we have the the vials filled with his wrath that will be outpoured we have the trumpets we have the vials and we have the seals to kick everything off. And so I've always kind of looked, if I, if I was to buy into the mid-trib or pre-wrath, that the scene where the 144 are sealed and the great um, multitude is taken up into heaven who are identified in mart as martyrs in uh, chapter, I've, hang on, I've got the notes here. Uh, they're identified as martyrs in chapter 7, but if there's any recapitulation, which that opens a can of worms, uh, chapter 15 identifies a similar great multitude who had been harvested by the angel across uh, the world. And so if there is a rapture in Revelation, which is a big question, do we have a clear rapture moment? We don't even know that. Uh, if it's in the midst of Revelation, it's probably in my mind, not John being taken up through the window, but rather the, uh, the great multitude being brought up into heaven. And so that occurs right before the outpouring of the trumpets in the vials, which would be when God unleashes his judgment. And what by the way, 
I'm yeah. stealing a lot of that from Alan Holdberg because uh, this book, Three Views of the Rapture, is really helpful. So that goes through pre, mid, pre, pre-trib, pre-wrath, and post-trib, correct? And it's a subsequent edition. The first round of scholars, it was mid, mid-trib at that mm-hmm. in the earlier edition, but it was different scholars. So this is a a pickup after years had passed. I think I, I could uh, accept a pre-wrath position. Um, again, I also see um, I see the timing of that being highly symbolic. I think it, God was speaking a message to the first century church in the midst of persecution to say, look, um, this persecution is not going to be forever. Uh, it's going to be a temporary. I'm going to be with you through it all. Um, and uh, yes, you're going you're gonna to be called upon to suffer. Um, and uh, you need to be faithful in the midst of that. Um, you know, I mean, somebody that would say, you know, why would God beat up his church in the first um, three and a half years? Is God beating up the church in Iran today? Is he beating up the church in, in northern Nigeria today? Is he beating up the church in uh, China today? We have uh, tremendous persecution happening. I, I, don't, I don't think that's the point. It is as Andrew said, it is part of following Jesus that we are able to suffer for his namesake, and we are blessed when we do. Uh, and it's, um, uh, as Nick Rifkin said, it's kind of the insanity of God, that in the midst of his purposes being, being uh, completed and, and lived out, that uh, persecution and suffering is part of that. So I guess an Old Testament perspective of this is, and this is what's kind of made me lean towards uh, towards post-trib, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I do feel like I'm more of a pre-wrath, uh, where I've kind of landed is the pre-wrath kind of idea, especially with the going back to the Daniel time, times and a half um, kind of thing, that thinking that there is some sort of something takes place at that moment, right? Uh, but th- there's another piece of it where, you know, you think about the plagues of Egypt and God judging the land and, and uh, Israel is safe in Goshen when God is directly being the one to pour out. Like Pharaoh was, was pretty terrible to Israel and they experienced that and they went through some terrible times. But when God is the one directly, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't take them out uh, and he will at the end of that, but he shields them through it all. So whereas you will have darkness throughout the entire land, but in Goshen, there is light. When uh, He even makes distinction between the, the cattle, uh, that the, all the other Egyptian cattle get plagued, but not in Goshen. Uh, he, the virus stops on the border, you know? And so there is a part of me that has thought, okay, look, I, I think it's perfectly uh, acceptable to say that even with the wrath of God being poured out, does he, does, is he, is it, is he able to shield his church from the wrath, much like he shielded his people when he poured out, you know, his plagues upon Egypt as well? So that's what kind of leads me to at least some sort of a pre-wrath or that he, he keeps him, because I don't see him as, as directly, uh, involved with the punishing of his church. I don't, I just can't get past it. I would agree. He doesn't, he will not punish the bride, but the entire world, he, he's let the people go through this. Something that's always bothered me in Revelation, when you see those who it says, these are the ones who have gone through the tribulation, um, and, and you say, well, that, that to me is, that's the church, right? Well, no, no, and people like saying, well, that's not the, that's not, that's the, the post-raptured church, but 
that's still his church that he is allowed to go through. And so that also makes me pause and think, why would why is it okay to send that part of the church through, but it's not okay to send the rest of the part of the church through? So I guess I come back to, I, I definitely see the wrath is not directly poured out in this church. Whether that means he takes them out or he shields them, but I don't see them as immune from tribulation um, by the Antichrist. Any else thoughts on that? Well, and I agree, and I think that's, you know, we could shift into the post-trib view then from there because the, the post-trib view is saying uh, uh, George Eldon Ladd made a lot of uh, converts, I think, to this position uh, with the Blessed Hope and how he systematically goes through all the New Testament rapture passages and shows the return of Christ is never separated in the text from the rapture, that these are synonymous events, or maybe that's not the right word, but that these events go uh, together. And so by breaking them apart by three and a half to seven years, we're injecting a gap that's not uh, specified in the New Testament. And, and I, I think most uh, scholars uh, were persuaded by that, and most seminary professors on the end times, that's the position I see them take, if they haven't already moved all the way to the amillennial camp. Some people see the post-trib as a resting place on your way back to amillennialism. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but anyway, the, the, uh, the post-trib idea is that God is going to leave the church in, that it's not necessarily about Israel versus the church, that God has one people of God, that people goes through this up until Christ returns, and then it's through that uh, body that the millennial kingdom uh, is inaugurated. Um, and so some weaknesses of the position, uh, and this is a, a great Dallas Theological Seminary graduate asked me, uh, well, then how do you repopulate the world? And uh, because if the rapture occurs and everyone's changed in the twinkling of an eye and there's no subsequent converts, who's having babies? And that's when you really get locked into how uh, working out the details of these systems almost defeats the whole purpose of it all. But it, it does get into those nitty-gritty questions. Well, and I, I, I would affirm what you just said. I, I think um, sometimes in our effort perhaps to understand more, we, um, we may overstep um, the boundaries that I think are clear for us. And that is, I, I'm not sure we're meant to know all of those things. Um, and the truth is, nobody will know all of those things until uh, God's purposes are lived out and fulfilled. And maybe, maybe the reason why we are not able to form such a system is so we won't become so proud uh, that we figured it all out. Uh, in the end, God is still God, and uh, he, he will fulfill his purposes according to his plan, which may or may not square with with our uh, our scheme of things you know i think as we're kind of closing this up and being done here i think there is a healthy part of um whether you're pre mid or post um to still allow that that um that i i await for the return of christ mm -hmm. um and because i feel like sometimes when i've when i've been on the heavy on the pre side I've kind of have it like this. Well, there's a lot of crud that's got to happen still. And, I, you know, I, I'm not looking for the return of Christ. I'm looking for all these other pieces because I've kind of made my view be these all have to happen before he can come. Um, and, and I think that there needs to be a dose of like, um, I, want, I wait for his return. I may not have it completely uh, all 100% down. What, 
in any of those. Um, and so I kind of get back down to like, I don't want to get back to like, it's all going to pan out. I, I mean, I definitely, I guess I've, and I've said it and it's not original to me, like, like, you know, I, 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 um, I, I kind of lean on the, the mid uh, or post, but I, I, I definitely would pray for a pre, yeah, like, you know, that that would, that would, I would hope that that would be shielded, right? Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I don't want to make sure, I don't want to miss uh, things and just say, like, I don't, I, I kind of don't want to have this pessimistic view that it's all going to go down this way and it's all going to happen this way. And I don't leave room for God to change and to do things that he wants to do or in the world around me. Uh, because I'm I'm just looking at one or two things that I feel like are markers that must take place before anything else. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I would just say uh, all of these systems, uh, these ideas are uh, people really trying to wrestle through the text, and most yeah. of most of that is a good thing. And we just kind of can get so far down a, a path that we we have to hold up the system at all costs. You know, you get so committed, and I think that's a problem. Uh, the, there are some weaknesses for each. The, the pre-trib rapture, uh, some of the advantages that has is the imminent return of Christ, that he could come at any day in the twinkling of an eye, uh, we could be taken. That, that does sit well with some passages of scripture. And uh, they'll argue that if you don't hold to that position, you do away with the uh, imminent uh, return of Christ as, as being possible. The, the mid-trib view tries to protect the church from uh, God's wrath, while at the same time uh, permitting uh, some foreknowledge that we're in the end. You know, uh, Thessalonians says you're going to recognize the Antichrist when he comes, so don't sell all your stuff and go up to the mountains just yet. And, uh, you know, uh, so th that tries to sit in the middle, but there's weaknesses again on both sides. The post-trib uh, view uh, fits well with a lot of the return of Christ being tied to the rapture uh, passages in the Bible, but at the same point in time, uh, how our spiritual beings going to repopulate a world that is going to rebel against God in yet a thousand years? Um, you know, are we going to postulate that eternal beings, when we go into glory, we could still rebel? You know, that scares me more than any of the views. So, so they all have some advantages and some weaknesses, and they might all be wrong. <laughs> you know, we, we have to have a lot of humility when we approach it again, but I think it's healthy to dig in and then go back to the big picture, which is, come Lord Jesus, come. We want him to come, and uh, the good guys win, and that's in Daniel and in Revelation. So, despite whatever you're going through and whatever persecutions laid at your doorstep, we, uh, we open the door to the hymn who knocks and we invite Christ in to dine with us and we just wait for his uh, return. So that, that's kind of how I'd, I'll, I'll throw that as my final thoughts. I think if I were to have one uh, last thought, it would be this. Uh, in this week, in our tradition, we pray for missionaries around the world because we recognize in Revelation 7, that there's a vast multitude from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation gathered around the throne to bring praise to God and to sing praises to the Lamb who is worthy. And until that time, we must spend every, uh, every ounce of energy and resource that we have to get the gospel to every creature. That is our job. That's what we're supposed to be about. And I think um, in the end, that's what we work towards. Not that we uh, have the ability to usher that in as the old post-millennialist thought, but uh, that we work together with God uh, in getting that word of the kingdom. And Jesus affirmed that in Matthew 24, that this word of the kingdom will be preached to every nation. Uh, so that's, uh, that's what I think we should look for. And, and all the while saying, even so, come Lord Jesus, we look for your coming any day uh, and every day. And that's what we look forward to. 
Hey, guys, I appreciate both of you providing insight. Can I, can I ask, is it safe to say that as I've been going through Daniel, right, that when I come to those moments and say, oh, I'm pre-trib rapture, and then a chapter later go, oh, I'm mid-trib rapture, and then a chapter before that go, oh, I'm post-trib, that that might be okay, that like, 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 I mean, working on these, thinking through these things, um, have, are you ever completely settled 100% on a view of how it all play, plays out? I'm obviously not, and, and I also believe in my heart of hearts that when it happens, nobody is going to say, wait a minute. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I, I uh, again, I, I fluctuate on this. I, I do know that people out there do answer in the affirmative to that question, that yes, they're settled, in, and it's, uh, they would view that as an imperative part of their uh, faith. For, for me, no, I'm glad Southern Baptists have never taken a hard stance on any of these views. Uh, and I think that's a, a healthy uh, area of room where we can agree and disagree. But yeah, I've moved a lot on this. And again, there are days where I wake up and it's like those amillennialists have a really good argument here. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I, I fluctuate. I think generally we, we don't need to be too worried about landing on something. Uh, and, uh, just be open to the spirit directing you, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, sorry. But I, so, you know, but I would absolutely agree. And I would say if you're watching, I said one of the best things you can do is just read the Bible and and just seek to understand it and let that inform. Like I said, I've been challenged. Like I, I was pretty sure, like, oh, here's my thoughts. And I gotta tell you, just preaching through has really at least challenged me on what I believed on certain things. And I think that's healthy. I think it's healthy to say, well, hey, maybe you don't completely go. Maybe, maybe it is time to pause and to think through some of these other pieces. So I think there's some do your homework and just read. And, and try to put it together uh, and, and let God work that in your, uh, in your uh, view for you as you just let the text unfold. So, all right, we are, uh, we are done. I will read the uh, Nazarite prayer and then we will go off live and be done. It's been good. Uh, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. God bless you guys. Thank you for watching.